And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So what happens after a founder and a company get to that promised land that we call an exit. What's life like? What, what happens? Do you get paid? Do you leave? Do you work? Do you continue the dream? These are all things that we've talked about somewhat in the past. And my often co-host Matt Watson talks on many, has talked on many episodes about what it was like after his exit at Venn Solutions, which he describes as anticlimactic. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but I first off, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Puzzles brought to you by Pipeline Entrepreneurs. And Pipeline Entrepreneurs is a fellowship program for high-growth entrepreneurs. They're currently recruiting for their 2021 fellowship class. You can apply at pipelineentrepreneurs.com. You know, in regards to Pipeline, this is a really great program for founders. You, it, it's, it's mentoring, it's fellowship, it's community. You see a lot of really great people come through this. I know a ton of people that have gone through Pipeline. My guest is involved with Pipeline. And I think it's probably a good time to go ahead and introduce Maria Flynn, who's the president and CEO of Orbis Biosciences. Maria, what's up? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us today. We're going to talk about life after exit and some other stuff. And I, you know, I always say no one tells the story better than the founder themselves. So let's go ahead and hear a little bit more about your backstory. Sure. Um, and I, and I do have to say, ours is a little bit unusual. So there are two co-founders and I was the first kind of driver of the bus. So technically not a co-founder, but def definitely very much an entrepreneur and the first uh, full-time person in the door. And uh, um, so do you want me to start with when Orbis began or before that? Well, I, you know, I, you did have a successful exit and congratulations on that. But yeah, let's, I mean, what, what made you start the company? What with the founders, wherever they entered the scene? I mean, just what's every, every superhero has a backstory. So we, we can't really tell the rest of the story unless we, I mean, maybe you got bit by a radioactive spider and that's where the, the biosciences began. Maybe it was something different, but uh, you, you go ahead and uh, start wherever you want. It's your story. Well, there are a few things from before Orbis that I think are um, informative to, to how we progressed. Um, uh, and the first one, you know, I, I'm a farm kid from uh, Hayes, Kansas, and I think that re is really formative. I grew up um, on the farm and then had parents who had businesses, and we were part of those businesses. So I think I learned more about the entrepreneurship story before 18 than the 18 years after that, uh, getting to grow up uh, like that. Um, I started off life as an engineer um, and uh, 
my first job, once I started that, I realized that this is, wasn't where I was going to be for the rest of my life, that I wanted to go build um, companies. Um, so I, I worked as an engineer for a few years. I went back and got a business degree. And the interesting part of that is uh, our first day of class was 9-11. So um, it was a really interesting time to be there. Um, it was the way I'd all left good jobs good paying jobs. Uh, and, and now we're invest, you know, paying a lot to be there and, you know, a lot of fear and what are we doing with our future? And, and I think that's interesting now too, is, uh, you know, you can only focus on what you can control in one step in front of the other. And so having that experience, I think was really valuable. And um, that time in history was probably more valuable than the, the content I was learning then. Uh, I was fortunate uh, to get picked up by Cerner. They had a great rotational program where they would take um, MBAs and rotate them around. So I got a lot of great experience. Uh, I would say, you know, 15 years worth of experience in five years, very concentrated. Uh, but I had a real urge to go do something entrepreneurial. Um, so I saved my money and I uh, left the best way I could, um, thinking if it doesn't work out, maybe they'd take me back. Um, and if you look at the Cerner story, um, when the three founders are sitting around the picnic table at Loose Park, um, and they write the list of the things they know about and the things they don't know about, and healthcare is on the things they don't know about. Um, so really, it's a very entrepreneurial um, scene there, and I wanted to go uh, build it from the ground up. So I left not knowing what I wanted to, or where I was going to go or meant to be. Um, that was April of 2008. And um, just started exploring and meeting people and finding out what was going on around town. Um, and that is a great experience to go to go do that. Um, two founders, Bo Fishback was at Kauffman Foundation at that time and Corey Birkeland, uh, professor at University of Kansas. And they had um, a good connection and wanted to start a company and Corey um, he's a great inventor and had a lot of interesting things around his lab, but they kept going back to this technology that Corey um, developed in his grad school program at University of Illinois. So they worked on getting the license out of Illinois and some uh, uh, seed funding, and then and then they got me on board. And interesting part of that time in history. So a week after I joined them, uh, Lehman Brothers went down. Uh, so we knew we needed that funding to last us as, as long as possible. Um, and it was one of those situations where, you know, you have a solution uh, in search of the problem. So it's, a, it's kind of a challenging place to start a company. So a little bit about what the technology is. Uh, it's a micro encapsulation technology very precise uniform particles um, that you can then control how a drug releases. Um, so we work with pharmaceutical companies to apply it to oral and injectable products. It's a licensing business model. So as they take that product to market, uh, Orbis receives milestone payments and royalties um, on the product. But in the beginning stage, it's a uh, very much service oriented. Um, so, you know, when we started, it was a race to, um, show progress to show where the technology was useful, to show people would pay for it, um, to scale the technology, um, and more from a you know industrial scale side than typically when you think of scale from a business side, but doing all those things. Um, and and in that time in history when uh, you know it was going to be tough to raise uh, additional funds 
So we found out we were a good grant story and um, the Small Business Innovation Research, the SBIR program um, through NIH and Department of Defense and USDA uh, was really a good lifeline for us. And we raised over uh, 9 million uh, to scale the technology and show where it was interesting uh, uh, to get clinical trials done. So that was really helpful because we were in a chicken and an egg situation where you know, we needed to show a more maturity of the technology to get uh, real client revenue. And, and we needed more client revenue to get the investment to uh, uh, really progress the technology. So we've, we found creative ways to, to keep going. going. Um, and when I joined Bo and Corey, we said, or they told me, you know, let's go build this and sell it three to five years. Um, it took us a little bit longer as it does most of the time. Um, so at the 11 year mark is where we found our right home and we had known the acquiring company for probably about seven or eight years. Um, so it was more of a matter of timing. Uh, we knew the places where we, we fit in well with uh, different companies offerings and it was just the right timing when we had made enough progress and the acquiring company Adair at that time, Adair Pharmaceuticals, um, they've now been been sold or purchased and rebranded Adair Pharma Solutions. But until the time when, um, you know, we could really come into their fold and um, create value. So you got acquired by a company that then got acquired and that all happened this year? Yeah. So when you really think about, you know, what we're going through in the pandemic, there's still so much activity um, it's yeah. really crazy, but yes. Um. <clears throat> but that's interesting. So you, you, uh, it seems that when you make a decision that it's got some, uh, it's got some follow on world drama perhaps, cause, uh, did I catch that right? That your first day of doing Orbis or, or you show up and that was the nine 11, um, like the real day. Well, so nine 11, that was business school. That was the first day. And then Orbis. Oh. It was okay. one week and Lehman Brothers goes down. So it was the end of 2008. Um, yeah. uh, and, and I think a lot of this is mindset. So when that happened, I felt really lucky to have found my home and not be in that kind of floating situation. And lucky right. that I left Cerner when I did, because if I didn't do it then, you know, it'd probably be another, you know, how many years till I would feel, feel comfortable. Um, so, yeah. You know, those, th those kind of things, uh, it, it, you know, you talk about the pandemic or 9-11 or, you know, a variety of things that can occur. And there's all these curveballs that always, you can, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you should just count on curveballs and, and disruption and, and just weird stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, here at, I'm 45 years old. And at one point it was around May and my wife said to me, she goes, you seem like you're handling this really well. I'm like, well, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. She's like, what do you mean? She's like, it's like, it's just, you just learn to accept that there's a roller coaster that you're going to ride on. You just don't def des definitely know what to label the, the loops and the, and the valleys and the stuff like that, or, you know, and, and I think it's best to just kind of strap in, throw your arms up and scream, on many days, but you know, it's, I think that you get conditioned to that kind of stuff. Now, the, you know, you talk about starting business school or, or, uh, I, I remember the, the 2008, uh, the specifically, cause I was living in Washington DC at the time. And I got, I was running a business for, 
um, a, a couple and they had a chain of piano stores of all, of all things to be into. And I got one, one year on the good side of that and one year on the bad side of that. And my, was it different? Um, the prior year before that, everyone was cashing in their home equity and, and, you know, here's the thing is they were spending money. They, you know, all of a sudden you had a people had a hundred thousand dollars in their bank that they didn't have before. So they went, ah, well, it's, I'm going to spend a little bit of it. And then on the flip side of that, no one spent any money. And it was, uh, um, I switched jobs in that, in that same time period and, uh, went to a manufacturing type job and, I had uh, hundreds of clients over a 13 state region that I worked with and half of them went out of business in the following two years, in the two years that I did that job. And it was, I mean, it was, uh, it, it actually shaped my story and my outlook on entrepreneurship because I saw people do a lot of the wrong things and things like, oh, it, if things would just be like they used to. That's the big one of the biggest red flags that I can hear in life right now. And, you know, and you look back and, you know, you have to adapt. And Darwin uh, observed that it's the species that are most adaptable that survive, not necessarily the strongest, not necessarily the smartest. It's the most adaptable. So uh, you key to that. Now, we were going to talk about, you know, now in regards to to what occurs after an acquisition, I don't want to talk about your situation because that's you know that's that's your business and we don't need to air that to the world now and that's i think that that's fair but what i i want to talk about some of the mechanics of i think people are very curious like because you hear about acquisition and you know we're here in kansas city and once again if you're listening check go to pipelineentrepreneurs.com and check out what they do because Kansas City, in my opinion, is this little uh, is this little centrifuge. I'm trying to use some bioscience references here, um, but it's or a petri dish or something of entrepreneurship. And we have all these really cool programs, and Pipeline's one of them. And with that, these uh, you know they're much like we do here on the podcast. They they want to create a level of experience and understanding about entrepreneurship that you might not normally hear. Now we've had some big exits. We had backlot cars. Uh, so congratulations to my buddy, Josh Parsons over there and uh, Chris Cheatham, another startup hustle alumnus at risk genius. Uh, haven't even had a chance to talk to Chris about that. Um, you know, my, my business partner, Matt Watson had a big exit. And you know, the thing is, is like people, what, like, okay, what, how does that actually work? And I think most people don't understand that it's, it's a pretty long path. You don't just wake up on Monday and then you're like, oh, cool. On Friday we exited. Do it, what, what kind of basic uh, mechanics can you describe about how that works? And let's talk on the front side of it. So before, before the exit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, we, we're going to omit anything. We don't have to talk about numbers or anything like that. But, you know, like, I mean, ha, what at what point do you wake up and you're like, hey, I think we might sell the company soon? Yeah, um, because there were was there were a number of rounds of interest coming into the company. And so, um, you know, on the roller coaster, is this the one or, you know, you when you were talking about strapping in and, and just riding the ride. Um, so, uh, 
and 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 things can kind of get protracted. Although I know some can move really fast, um, but I think that typically things are a little bit longer. Um, and then you know ours with the, throw the pandemic in there. That was a really interesting factor because you think about you know what we were thinking um, mid March. You know and and. I think that goes back to why I brought up this, you know, the point about 9-11 and 2008, you know, there's only so much you can control. So, you know, just focusing on on those things. But you see, you, we saw really on both sides, people were trying to go as fast as possible, you know, see if we could we could beat this. Um, uh, but eventually, you know, it all clicked into place. I'd say after and and to go back to my time at Cerner, um, one of the things I got to do was um, uh, work on one of the acquisitions Cerner had that was kind of uh, imploding after the fact. We lost a lot of the development team on day two after the um, acquisition, and um, really, um, you know, leaders have to have to we have to check our egos, you know, and sometimes that's that's easier said than done. Um, but I. I saw things that I knew when I got to that stage and was selling a company, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to really concentrate on the legacy of what, um, you know, of what we were handing uh, to new owners. Um, and, and so I, that, that's how our team is really focused of, you know, how do we integrate in the best way? Um, how do we uh, preserve the really special parts of what we, we brought in um, and how do we adapt and, and evolve in, into the next phase. Um, but, you know, as the leader, it, it does change. Your identity changes a lot. And, um, and, and a lot of that is still managing the ego of, um, you know, it's, it's a new day or it, it, it's a new step of the journey. Um, and, and that's. Is, is, is that, is that based on the fact? So, you know, as the founder and CEO of full scale, I mean, I don't walk around and say this, but I guess on paper, I'm the boss. And then if I sold the company to someone else, I'm not the boss. I might be on some levels, but when you don't own the shares, you're, you're, you're in a different role. Is that the, is that the, is that the, the ego or mental adjustment that you're referring to is just like that, that mentality, or is it, I mean, is that, I mean, I guess that's the question. And you really kind of have to step aside into to new roles. Um, and some of that, how I, I told somebody earlier in the week is, you know, my kids aren't in college age yet, um, but I imagine if they went off to college and then they never called me, but they were doing fine, that would hurt. But I should say, well, I did something right because they're fine, you know? And so, um, and some of that is, you know, as we're integrating all these pieces and I don't have that responsibility anymore and I go off and I get new roles and there were, there were things within the company I could offer value in other ways. Um, but it's a different role. Uh, so I think really, you know, helping, helping that facilitating that and not getting in the way. Um, and, and, and it's just different. So yeah. Um, you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, I've had, so, you know, this is, when this comes out, this will be right around the 450th episode of Startup Hustle. And, and you know, we've had a lot of people that have had exits and, uh, you know, they, they, 
the approach pattern seems to be somewhat standard, but it's always different, uh, you know, but I see you say standard. I mean, there's an ac acquiring interest that comes in now in in Watson's case, he was out, they were went to raise capital and found that the places that they went to seek investment from were like, well, how about we buy the company? And then uh, now his, his co-founders, and that was, you know, Venn Solutions is automotive. So they, they had, uh, uh, they were salespeople. A lot of them were car, like, you know, car owned car dealerships at one point and stuff like that. And, you know, they were smart enough to know that you can't have an auction with one bidder. So they called a couple other places and a couple other places and they, they had a running joke. So they would answer the phone. They, it, all of a sudden they realized, oh, oh shit, we can sell this thing probably for a bunch of money. And then the price kept going up every day. So they would call, they would call each other and they would just answer the phone. They go every day yeah. as in every day, someone was bidding more for them. And uh, it was really interesting. Now, uh, every founder that's exit ha exited has described that approach pattern as remarkably stressful. It's exhilarating, but it's also stressful because uh, they all they all define at one point that first sleepless night. And that's that, you know, and in and, and many cases, it's that offering that I mean, this is life changing money for a lot for in almost every case. And so you know, you go home and you're like, and now here's the thing is you mentioned you've been doing it for 11 years, and they had two and we've had a lot of people that have exited. And you know, the funny thing is everyone goes in there, they have this three to five year exit plan. And then they're like, in year 10, we sold the company. And that that is typically uh, that that is how that goes a lot. But then all of a sudden, a real offer comes and you go home and you're like, well, honey, someone offered $100 million for the company and you know, someone's spitting their beverage out. They're like, what? You know, and, and talked about that. That's did you have that first sleepless night? Oh, I don't know if it was a first. Um, you know, I do like to think about <laughs> For that, for that for that reason as an entrepreneur you get many sleepless nights that's built in i tell people if you're an entrepreneur you're going to wake up at two in the morning wondering if you're crazy if you're going crazy going broke or if every decision you've made was wrong that's very normal but yeah well and i think we felt it in our, our bones that this was the right place and um and and it and it took a little while uh for it all to come in come into place i think um I think the pandemic just added a whole new level because, you know, now, now we're also homeschooling. And so, um, it, 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 and it, it, you know, you just have to, um, kind of take it all in because at the end of the day that, you know, the companies are bought, they're not sold and you can't, you can't sign for the other side. So, um, there's only so much you can do. Um, so yeah, there were, there was quite a lot of, um, uh, sleepless nights in that time period, because for, would it be for a reason out, you know, completely, you know, out of left field that this wouldn't happen? Um, you know, and that's well, most, most of the time they don't happen. That's the thing I think right. people don't understand is that these deals and it's, uh, well, let's start just with general rounds of funding. I mean, those fall apart way more than they come together. And right. you don't hear about those. You don't hear about those unless you really talk to the, to the company and they're, and they're, and they're telling you, I mean, I've seen it happen a bunch. I've had it happen to me and there's a zillion things. Now I can only imagine the, the amount of stress 
and uncertainty that a pan that the pandemic created because you know you talk you're talking you were talking March and April right that was when I mean that was that was that was easily the most uncertain time that I've seen in my lifetime as an entrepreneur because uh, okay in 2008 financial crisis yeah that was serious but you know we'd seen at that point I'd seen a dot com bubble. You know, we saw some other things occur and these things, they, they lead to times of economic uncertainty. And, but I, I have yet to see a pandemic. And I think in March and April, I mean, I remember I almost got stuck in our office in the Philippines. Uh, I did a whole series about it because I was there wondering if I was getting out and remember talking to 185 employees about that. And they're asking questions and I'm like, I don't know. And mm -hmm. it's hard as a leader to, to, you know, that's not your job isn't to say, I don't know on many days. So yeah, I'm sure that that was, that was quite a bit to deal with now. Um, so, you know, things come along. Um, I mentioned earlier, Watson describes his, their acquisition. He's like, it was the most anticlimactic thing that I've been through. I said, so what do you mean? He goes, well, we signed some stuff and the next day I had a whole bunch of money in my bank account and I went back to work. And, uh, I, I, you know, part of how, how this life after acquisition works is a, a lot of you, you, I mean, you still work at Orbis and, I, you know, the, the people that buy the company, they want you to, they need you to show up for that continuity. You mentioned, uh, uh watching it fall apart in a, or go not, not go as well with the other, but companies typically want you to, you'll, you'll have some kind of earnout or something like that. And I mean, is that then the commonplace in your experience? Well, yes. And, and going back to that day when it, you know, the money transfers and, and, you know, it's not done until that happens. Um, and we had, so we did a virtual toast, you know, uh, yeah. uh, and then, you know, I'm back, you know, with my family 24 seven during that time frame, so we're just doing normal, you know, kid stuff. Um, so it was particularly anti-climatic. Um, but, I, and, you know, pipeline entrepreneurs, one of the, my favorite things of over the years is when um, entrepreneurs meet that milestone, you know, we do get together and celebrate and, uh, and, and hear the story. And that's been one of my favorite memories. Uh, so they asked me, hey, do you want to do that? That didn't feel right when people are, you know, uh, a lot of people are struggling figuring out what to do. Like, hey, let's let's go talk about this. I think knowing that there are bright spots, it it's, provides us inspiration. And we that energy is is helpful for us to pass around. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's a different set of to do's on the next day. And you're focusing on uh, on it, on it. But it, it was a huge relief uh, because we had crossed, crossed that finish line and, um, to be, it was fun to be working on the other side of that. Now I was long before I was an entrepreneur, I actually experienced an acquisition in a company that I worked with. And it was a, it was much different than most of the acquisitions that we're used to in this day and age. In that case, there was a private equity company that had purchased seven different chains of retail stores and they were going to create a hub and spoke model and make them all more efficient. And that was, that was terrifying for the people that were there because it, it didn't take an economist or an NBA to know that a lot of people weren't going to work there in a month. And 
Um, and, and so the, I started my job at that company on the first day that that had occurred. And then everyone thought that I came with the acquisition, uh, which I didn't. And it was a really kind of a bad, it was a lame way to start. Like I didn't even realize what I was walking into and they thought that I had come with that and was basically a spy there to figure out who we were going to fire. So I had a very uncomfortable, uh, first, uh, first, uh, that, that was an interesting, I, I actually got to work on both sides of that. Cause that company ended up going out of business a couple of years later because the CEO had done some really dumb stuff and the, the company got sued and they just said, Oh, we're going to liquidate it. And I, I got to experience some of that. I actually went, that's when I moved to Washington, DC, I mentioned being in there at one point, but you know, acquisitions, uh, bring a lot of uncertainty for some people. And I, and one thing that I, I, I so many of the founders we've talked to, uh, you know, we did episode 150 with Watson and Neil Sharma from DEG and, you know, they had very well-known exits and, uh, the, you mentioned before legacy preservation. Um, that's important to a lot of people. And uh, why was, why was that important to you? You know, I think that's in my DNA, uh, growing up on a farm, you know, it's all about what you leave for others. Um, but I, and I, and I think going through that experience at Cerner really, um, framed, uh, how I thought about that. Um, and, and so even, you know, even years before we actually got there, uh, some of the, the processes that we were going to do, you know, it wouldn't even necessarily need to be an exit, but if, you know, I had a heart attack tomorrow, like, uh, what, what am I leaving? And, and, and so putting the right structure and writing, writing things down, stuff like that. Um, I think that's just important to me, but one of the things when you were talking about funding, I wanted to go back to is, um, you know, sometimes when we're going through it, 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 it really, um, uh, is, is crappy. So like when we think about the pandemic or we think about 9-11 or uh, we think about the funding round that, that didn't come through. Um, and, and I think, well, one, there's so much to learn through that time frame, and your story um, illustrates that, uh, uh, that when we get through the other side, we can look back and see how that was valuable. So for us, you know, we, uh, uh, Bo raised the first round that uh, lasted with us. And then we, we were creative on how we um, funded the company, but we had a really difficult time getting a Series B. Um, and but then when we got to the end, that turned out to be a good thing because we could be really flexible on how this was structured and and do things that we couldn't have done if we would have went a more traditional path. Um, so that's something you know. Years later, when you look back, you're like, "Oh, that worked out okay," uh, but you just don't know that when you're going through it, and you just wanted to come together. Uh, so I think that's a Interesting point to be thinking about, especially right now, as in the future, you know, can even turn out to be a benefit. Yeah, in regards to the legacy statements, I mean, the the founders that uh, so many that I've talked to, you know, they they're they're very pragmatic in the regard that you know they know that they didn't do it all themselves, and you know that's I, I tell our own staff at, at full scale I say you guys are the they you know they're like hey boss I'm like no no like I need you uh, I need you more than you need me and it's the people in the company that make it happen and and you know uh, 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 a good leader 
wants to, wants, you know, it's not just about the legacy of the company. I mean, it's almost, it's about the people and, you know, so many of those people, they're not experiencing it the same way that the founder is the founders. Uh, uh, well, in practice in zeros and ones sense is getting a lot of zeros and ones more ones than zeros in the bank account. And, you know, that's a, that's a windfall event for, a founder where it's a lot of, it can be a lot, it can be a lot of anxious anxiety, uh, worry, all that stuff for an employee because they're sitting there wondering, you mentioned experiencing a, a acquisition where on day two, the most of the, a lot of the people quit. And that's not uncommon because people don't like uncertainty. People don't like change. They, I don't know. They just don't like it. And it's easier to, you know, what do you do? You're, you know, you're sitting there now for certain jobs. Like if you're a software developer in the U S like, I mean, honestly, you really shouldn't be, if you're even decent at what you do, you're not going to be unemployed. If I talk to an unemployed software developer in the United States, I'm like thinking, I'm like, what, how, you know? And uh, you know, but for, for certain people, it's, it's very disruptive. Um, did you have to deal with any of that and, and quell fears along the way or just like manage that message? Uh, so we're a pretty transparent group, pretty small group um, and uh, but very transparent because um, I think no information is more unsettling than factual information. Um, yeah. So every step of the way, um, you know, communicating what, what, you know, I would want to know if I were them, you know, um, and then also with the acquirer, uh, you know, keeping that transparent. So if they, you know, if they didn't want folks, we would, we, you know, we could make that, um, you know, we could help out where we could. Um, they did want all of us. So that made that easy. Um, more, more helping people, um, adjust as, as roles, you know, evolve, um, that has been the focus, but we're, we were very fortunate that, um, we had good fit and, and they did see value in all, all the people, but I think transparency, um, along the way is a key. And I, I also think when any company I would set up, and so Mr. K's, um, those that produce share in the rewards. So everybody had stock options. And so it made it a lot easier for everybody to have for everybody to be a good day for everybody. Um, you know, if we hadn't structured like that, then it would have been a little more awkward. Yeah. I think the most successful organizations, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of vested interest. You know, if the people that are involved have a vested interest in the success of the business and they all take ownership in it. And that's that, you know, you get that unifying feeling. Uh, speaking of, of a unifying feeling, if you're looking for an impactful organization for high growth entrepreneurs, visit PipelineEntrepreneurs.com or click the link in the show notes. You can learn more about the power of Pipeline Entrepreneurs. And let's talk about that for a second. So what what impact? Uh, so Pipelines, uh, this is this is part two of four of a series that uh, and for those of you listening, you'll hear a new voice in part four. Well, not a new voice. She's been a guest before, but Pipeline has some new leadership uh, and Pipeline's a great organization here in Kansas City. If you're in the region, you can reach out. This isn't just a KC thing. If you're if you're within if you're within uh, uh, 
a short distance. You know, they have people that have come through pipeline from all the neighboring states and stuff like that. So don't be shy about reaching out for those of you listening outside of KC, pipelineentrepreneurs.com. What's your experience been like with that organization? How's that helped you uh, become successful or expand your success? So I joined them in 2009. That was my fellowship year. So when you come in, you have a fellowship year and then you um, become a member, which is basically an alum. Um, But it's a tight network of entrepreneurs that, um, you know, we have each other's back. We um, are are on the other end of the phone if you need a call or an idea. um, uh, So very supportive ecosystem. Um, We're coming up on about 150 members. Um, I, uh, I was the third year in 2009, um, and, and I've stayed engaged since then, um, uh, because it is a valuable, um, group, uh, to be around great energy. Um, a couple of things that gave me, uh, my mentor that I was, um, uh, tagged with at that time, he, he stayed with me and we would have weekly calls. So you think, you know, 11 years, um, I, I'd, I'd be calling him weekly. Um, so that's one of the gifts uh, that that the group has given. And then as you evolve as an entrepreneur and as a person, you know, there are, there are different aspects um, uh, that, that you can get from the group, but certainly um, one of the most valuable um, networks that, that I had going on this journey and, and particularly when you are a small team and you can feel alone, you know, to have those, um, uh, compadres there with you, um, was super important. I think that, you know, what you just said there, that the alone part, I don't think people realize that entrepreneurs do feel lonely on a lot of days, um, especially if you become successful. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Having a community of people and I've, I've, you know, this podcast doesn't hurt with developing my own pipeline per se. Um, But, you know, sometimes it's there, it's hard to find people that can give you perspective uh, about that. There's just not a lot of people you talk about an exit. And there's just not a, a ton of people that most people know that have navigated those waters. And sometimes, uh, you know, we jokingly created a, a fictional club for entrepreneurs around episode five that we call Beers and Tears. Because uh, sometimes entrepreneurs just need a place to like either go have a beer or, or, or shed tears or maybe both. And we're, you know, this, uh, our, our virtual club was non, was non-judgmental. So if you needed to come have a bunch of beers and then cry in the corner, uh, we would have all got it. And, you know, I think that that's where that, uh, organizations like pipeline and, you know, let's look, I don't want to discredit the programming. You can get knowledge and information from a lot of places. You can get experience out on your own. It's doing it with the other people that is really valuable. And, you know, even just from my own experience with everyone, um, the, from the podcast to Watson to everyone is like, you know, you really do that. It is kind of a lonely feeling on some days. And, you know, myself, I I've got some people that I call that occasionally I'm just like, Hey, I just, I'm curious, you know, just what do you think? And I mean, past, past the original mentors, have the other people in pipeline have, have you, have you flexed that option? Oh, you bet. And, um, and, uh, I think they, they, 
I think you should be really intentional about the ecosystem that you're in because, you know, we rub off on each other, you know, and that, and it's, uh, you know, on a special personality that has the right level of optimism and the right level of realism. And, you know, we, we uh, ask the hard questions and call each other out if, you know, if we need to. Um, so like one of the things we do is uh, like a monthly, almost like support group uh, that meets two hours every month. Um, and so you get really close. So you're really close with the people that you come through your year and, and, and have a really special bond with, with them. But then in the other years, um, you know, it, it's, you get out of it what you put into it. So as many things as you show up to or reach out to, um, uh, yeah, I think, the, I think the peers are actually the most important thing. And while I would love for everybody to apply, um, uh, applications are due, uh, by October 31st, um, um, really whatever ecosystem you're in, but just really reach out and find who are those five people that you can call on that, you know, have, have experienced different experiences and will take your call and help you through whatever. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that's an invaluable thing when it comes now, look, I, at first, uh, this was years ago, I was insecure about asking. Uh, I remember when I, I published my first book, Balance Me, and you know, I had, there was quite a few entrepreneurs in that. And I did conversations with different people. And at first, I was really insecure about asking. First, I, I, I first off, I want to say that d don't be because people like talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, if it's if that's the case, so you, you and then uh, successful entrepreneurs, you can't, it's almost impossible to find one that hasn't had input and knowledge transferred to them by other successful entrepreneurs. And I mean, I know that myself, I have a, I have a feeling it's almost, uh, you know, like it's, uh, you know, knowledge isn't meant to be hung onto, it's meant to be transferred. And I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I've always taken interest in other younger or less experienced entrepreneurs, I mentor a couple people, uh, you know, just loosely on the side. And what does my mentorship mean? It means that I'll answer your call. And, you know, and, and, uh, and I think that that's really important. It's that kind of unfiltered, unfettered feedback that is the most valuable on many days, because there's, there's not an owner's manual that comes with all this, uh, all this stuff. There's a lot of books and things and opinions, but we all run our own race. And with that, it's, we have to decide when to speed up, when to slow down, when to stop running, you know, when we're hurt, uh, when it's time to rest and like a lot of different things. And, you know, I think the, the, if you can get people that are going to give you the feedback that you need and want and deserve, you're going to be in a good spot. And, um, I can just tell by the look on your face that you agree with that because there, there are these conversations uh, and you know what they, I, I never, I don't quote them. They're always very private and they're always, you know, and I've had so many people that, you know, they'll say, you know, they'll say things along the lines of, of, you know, like, you know, they, they just want to reinforce you. Like, it's like, Hey, this is your decision in the end. You know, you're, you, you, you hold that you hold the cards here, not the other way. And, right. you know, a lot of different stuff. And I think it's just it, on some days, it's just good to have a little bit. It, it's amazing how how uh, insecure successful people can be on some days. And, uh, uh, and it's okay. 
I mean, that's, that's all I'm trying to say is it's okay. It's normal. Call someone else and just ask them up. But uh, one thing you won't get the in, the input and the mentoring if you don't ask. I mean, I don't think I don't I don't send out email blasts going who needs help today. You know, I, that's not the way that works. So you have to you have to get out there and do it. You know, now you know once we end our episodes of Start a Puzzle with what we call the Founders Freestyle, and I once again want to say thank you to Pipeline Entrepreneurs for sponsoring this episode of Start a Puzzle. If you're interested in learning more about joining their 2021 Fellowship class, head head to pipelineentrepreneurs.com. There's a link in the show now show notes. Now look, this happens every year. This isn't, you know, you and we want you to apply to this and check it out. A lot of people apply. So come ready, you know, prepare, be prepared, get, get it ready, get your stuff ready. And, you know, and, and look at the list of the people that have been, you go to the site and look at the list of the people that you're going to join the community of it's, it's well worth it. And I, you know, I know a lot, I, I have yet to meet anybody who doesn't say great things about this program. And, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is, uh, uh, it, it, you talk about that, fa- that ego check on some days, it's important to, to continue to sharpen your tools and to continue to learn stuff. And we don't, and admit you don't know everything. And, uh, you know, we went, you, you mentioned, uh, Mr. K and, and, uh, the Kaufman foundation, there's a lot of different or, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneur stuff here in town. And, and they, they all kind of feed into each other. I remember going to a planning session for, for at Hellsberg uh, to view someone's, someone's program that they were launching. And uh, Matt Watson and I on the way down, they were like, Oh, we're so busy. We went down there. It was just two days at the end of the first day, we went from like, God, should we even go to leaving, getting in my truck and going, God, we got to do stuff like this more often, <laughs> you know, cause <laughs> it just, it just shakes up a lot of the, a lot of the, the stuff in, in your head. So um, once again, as promised, founder freestyle. So what, what is the best advice that you can give uh, that you can give future founders about preparing for a life after exit? Um, I think it's about the uh, being flexible and evolving. And um, because I think everybody's, story will be different depending on what environment they'll, you know, they'll go into. Um, and, and, you know, you just want it, to, it's, it's a new, new stage, new stage of life. And, and you want to maximize this level too. Um, it's just, a, you know, a, a different kind of environment that you're in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's the, that's, it's different in every situation. And, you know, I know I've been quoting, quoting my business partner a lot on this one. And you know, Matt, he, it, it was interesting. He, uh, he kind of went and kept going to work till one day he realized that it was time not to. And, you know, that's just like, it's a different, it's a different story for everyone. And, and hopefully the story that you guys write includes pipeline entrepreneurs. So go check them out. I'm going to get out of here. And thanks again for joining me, Maria. Hey, thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.
like with the world.